I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam podcast, our Olympic coverage. And today we have a superstar. We have the man with the deep knowledge, with the expertise, a man who has won the 400 IM at the Olympic level back to back 1996 and in 2000. Today we have Tom Dolan. No, no Mel, thanks for having me. Good to be with you guys. <laughs> Get people ready. Yeah, water a little bit. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I I'm so we, we talked a few days ago, and you said, "Yeah, Mel, you know, I'll help you out. I'll I'll, I'll bring my knowledge to the table." And um, it's become more and more dramatic since we made this ask. Uh, as it stands right now, um, Swim Swam picked Diaceto from Japan to 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 win. We were it's a, I picked him to win. I thought he would win. I felt like Chase, I was hoping Chase would win. I wanted there to be some redemption for Chase, but I thought that he could not get past Diaceto in his home nation in front of the home crowd, which is not a crowd that's not there. Diaceto gets ninth place. Diaceto was four ten five in the in the prelim sessions. Uh, that was ninth. It was uh, he, he came out and made a statement, said that was a mistake. Uh, interestingly enough, that would have been fourth had he swum in the <laughs> final. And I think he would have definitely cha- challenged for the win. Um, but as it stands right now, Chase Kalich wins the Olympic gold 4092. Jay Lithelin followed up 410. Oh, excuse me. Chase is a 4094. Was that correct? And, and Lithelin was a four. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 494. Yeah. I, so I'm just going to shut my mouth and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this race. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack, right? I mean, I think to your point, um, the last 24 hours or so uh, made this conversation, uh, I would say, uh, more complex. Uh, def- certainly has a lot more layers to it than, uh, than we probably thought. If, you know, if I said to who comes in and does this thing, goes four or six something. Uh, this is a whole different conversation, right? Which I think you guys thought. I certainly thought that. Um, I love Chase. Uh, you know, uh, certainly he was kind of tugging at the heartstrings uh, for all of us to, to pull through. Um, you know, as you pointed out, redemption story, silver last Olympics, um, gold this Olympics, bring back the the gold for the U.S. in the 4 a.m. That, that we've held on to for a long time until Kasuki took it down, uh, you know, in 16. And um, but, but here's the thing, and, and I'm not saying this isn't true in all events, um, but at this level, the 400 IM, there's a lot of uh, strategy and, and experience that's required to strategically pull off uh, a, a proper, a correct, even maybe a borderline perfect 400 IM. But there's also not a lot of mystery at this level in terms of who can go to what level of bar in terms of time, right? You're just not, you're not going to have uh, somebody that was 20th in the world rip a 405. It's too hard of an event, quite frankly, right? It's just not really how it works unless something fishy is going on. And so I think a lot of the swim nerd side of us, right? We look at that and say, you know, Kazuki goes uh, 406 and 16. Uh, Diaceto's been 406. 
granted the last two, three years, it's hard to, it's hard to break that down real time, but I more looked at it simplistically of what is your, what is your top line, your fifth gear? What time, what time range can that bring you? Right. Or do you, do you have the, the speed and strength and, and proper strategy to get into that 405, 406 or not? Right. Or are you more in that 408, 409? I think what we're saying uh, from a time perspective is we saw 406 ish as that gold medal. Right. I certainly did. I think if anybody, you know, going into yesterday said 409 is going to win the gold medal, we would all say, I don't even think that's going to medal. Right. And so, it's a tricky one to talk about, right? And, and Mel, here's where I'm torn, right? I, I'm, I'm wearing this hat on purpose because that's what I believe, just like you do, right? And so um, I almost feel like there, there's just an apology conversation to have because we just freaking went one, two, okay? And, and I hope everyone around the world watches this. So I, I don't want to play the, the incorrect NBC role of just talking about Americans because this was a fantastic race. I love the fact that like the data nerds out there could dig in and say, hey, when was the last Olympics that a Hungarian wasn't in the final before I am? Just a super cool stat, right? Love that stuff. Love the Tunisian kid winning the 400 free, sticking to the 4 I am. But my point is like, you, you almost have to apologize a little bit because we just went one, two. Was that kind of feel of what just happened? Like, are those times right? And and I'd love, I'd love for us to dig into that in a little bit too of like why that might be. But I think, you know, the Diaceto thing is, is I certainly can speak to personally, um, having won the 4 in Atlanta um, and, and like Chase last night, my 4 am gold was the very first gold medal for the U.S. team, which is not really something truthfully you even know to dream about, but it is a really cool happenstance, right? Um, I really feel for Diaceto as, as an aside, because um, I thought he, you know, I, I, I thought he, ha- he obviously had it in his grasp. Um, a lot of pressure. Um, I didn't see any quotes uh, from him about the pressure, but certainly that has that has something to do with it in front of your, your home crowd. Um, so, you know, I think there is a lot to unpack. Um, I, I think the positives are Litherland, as we know, he can do gets in there for, for silver reminded me a little bit of Eric Vent um, and, and how he did his job in 2000 with me and in 04 with Michael. Um, so a really cool moment for the, for the men's team to start off that way, but certainly um, we're all perplexed a bit by, by over all the times. We're going to, we're going to talk about Carson Foster and the long shadow that he created with his, with his swim on Friday night at the speedo sectional meet dropping a 4084. And just so we have some context on that, when we get to that topic, we'll, we'll break down the splits. We'll compare his, his Olympic trials, best swim, which is the prelim, not the final. In the final, we got third, obviously not making the Olympic team. We'll compare those splits from the Olympic trials to his swim at Speedo sectionals. Let's talk, let's, let's bring the conversation to where you had it, which is the perfect storm. Because what happens is that we talk about times right now and swim nerds will talk about times for years, but the truth is eventually it all sort of falls away and you just remember the color of the metal. And, and so this is what led us up to this moment. The perfect storm was um, yes. Chase pulls on the heartstrings. Chase is a four Oh five, nine at the 2017 world championships. 
something's wrong with Chase uh, at a certain point after that, and he doesn't talk about it. Super private person. I think that Michael Phelps probably advised him to keep his mouth shut, and he didn't. But among close friends, he shared that he had serious shoulder problems. And, and because of that, a lot of us in the background, when I was talking to our staff at Swim Time, I was like, I don't think that Chase is going gonna to be there. I can't tell you why, but there's a, there's a reason why. And if you knew it, you would, you'd have a little compassion. It seemed like the perfect storm begins here. Pandemic gives this athlete time to heal. Um, we have the rising star of, of uh, Carson Foster, who a lot of people are picking to do well at trials. And Carson Foster, in my opinion, like to know what you, what you think, didn't quite get the rest he needed and swam a bad race, probably from inexperience and being young. Perfect storm. Also, Diaseto moving into the Olympic Games where he would have a hometown crowd, but because of COVID and the state that that nation's in with, with the vaccinations, no fans at the Olympic arena. And also this outlier thing that we, we don't consider, which is that uh, in Japan right now, they don't want the Olympic Games. No, no matter what anyone says, every single poll shows that they did not want the Olympic Games. So there's shame surrounding the Olympic Games. What's the impact there? So I'm thinking about that perfect storm. Do you have anything to add to that? You know, I think that, um, I mean, I would add the simple fact of what the heck happened the last 18, 20 plus months in terms of training cycles, right? And, oh, by the way, the 4IM is really hard. Uh, so you have to train really hard and at a lot of different levels and capacity, right? I think incorrectly, people always think, oh, it's, you've got to train those aerobic energy systems, right? Sure. I mean, you have to have a baseline of, of, of aerobic training and be in shape. Yes, correct. However, you're still doing a hundred of each stroke. You have to have strength and speed to shift gears, right? And, and I talk a lot about shifting gears in a 4IM to swim it precisely. Um, you've got to know exactly down to five to 10 to 15 meter increments within that hundred when you're going to kind of just yoke the field, right? And that's a lot of how I would look at it. Um, for, for anyone that, that knows me, which is probably not many anymore since I'm, I'm old, um, but that was a lot of my mentality. I had a very aggressive, competitive mentality. Um, and, and that's how I'm wired. But I think strategically within that, I would add the COVID training has a, uh, I think, a significant kind of um, a deep impact, not just on, well, it's hard to get pool time. And so maybe I didn't get my yards in. Right. But I think you also have to think of it from the standpoint of specifically uh, if your weak stroke is backstroke, did you get enough of your fly to back transition back to breast transition? In, right. Did you have the time to really dial in granularly to, no, no, actually what I want to work on is the first 15 meters off of my backstroke turn so that I start to ride higher going into my breaststroke. Right. I mean, there, I, I could go on for, you know, hours on, on strategy of where I would, I would mix that up. And sometimes I would purposely do it different in prelims than I did in finals, just to mess with everyone in the field, right? If I saw that somebody clearly said, okay, my strategy is to attack time here, then I would totally screw with them, right? And I would lay off my backstroke and then I would jump my breaststroke. So by finals, they're going, now I don't know where to go, right? And I think all of that is time, 
all of that is you need training time to mess with that and do 75s instead of 50s or 125s instead of 100s. And, um, and, and that type of, of getting to the detail, I think it's fair to say everybody probably missed would have loved, right? Mel, you and I can speak to this and that we're super fortunate that we can now say, yes, in my Olympic lead up, here's what I worked on. Very hard to kind of have that perspective and, and say, yeah, it's a different beast, right? And so what do you want your perfect lead up to be? Um, what I find interesting in the what you said too, to add on to is the year, which I completely agree with, by the way, um, when ironically, I think the theme of, of most of the Olympic events is going to be the year, the, the extra year hurt the veterans and helped the rookies, right? It gave Tory Husk, hometown bias, Arlington, Yorktown High School. Uh, it gave that, that extra year to get stronger, to get smarter, right? To get, to, to have some experience under a belt that doesn't just have to be racing. It's just life on the planet of, of I can do this, right? Um, so it's ironic in this race that, that that year actually probably helped some of those veterans because I agree with you that it, it probably did, those that were dinged up a bit. I would argue for Diaceto, it was the worst thing that could possibly happen because while I agree with you that there's a funkiness of Japan now, kind of almost like shaming, as you said. But I think the other thing is when you carry that, what feels like 1 million pounds of extra weight on your shoulders because you are the person going into the Olympics. Well, everyone else could fail, but Diaceto's got the gold. So we're good there, right? An extra year ain't good to carry that, right? And, and, I, and I don't know him, right? But I'm just saying, having been in that place, uh, you want to just get to it. You do not want to extend that lead up longer. So I think that certainly plays a role in all this too. A lot of people have asked me, what do you think about the fans? You know, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Mel. I, sure, it's on my list. In fact, I wrote down my four or five things that I think play a role, not just in this race, but in all this. The fans is on there, but it's last on every version of my list. Um, and the reason I say that just doing audience to, to kind of understand this side of it is I think for every athlete, this probably varies um, a, a, a tiny bit from, from one to another in terms of impact. But look, let's not forget that at the end of the day, um, this is I'm a big golf fan. This is not golf. They don't they don't. Oh, the, the, there was no crowd at the Masters, but the U.S. Open the PGA championship and the British open were good. And those are all a month apart from each other. Right. This is, this is four years, right? It was five years, this cycle. Um, there is, there is really no outside motivation that that is needed for an athlete that's wired the way an Olympic athlete is wired. Right. And, 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 and I find this to be an interesting topic because I happen to be super lucky and nothing to do with it. Just was very lucky that I competed in, in, in my home uh, country and then I competed in the country in 2000 that literally swimming is, is it. It's the, it's the main thing. You couldn't have a more frenzied crowd uh, <clears throat> at Sydney Olympic Stadium, right? Which I loved because they were cheering against us because they just smashed the guitars the night before. Like I credit them for breaking the world record, not my training, right? That's why I sat on the lane rope dropping the FU bomb, right? Because it's the greatest, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, so, so I'm actually one that I love that, right? But, but would I honestly tell you that I wouldn't have performed without, no way. Like, are you kidding me? We, we work way too hard for how, to have that be such a major impact. Now, if you're the home country, to your point, does that have an effect? Absolutely, right? Because that's what you're geared for. 
Um, but I think it is interesting on those two points, almost, you know, prioritize further in terms of the COVID impact in this race, in that list. And I would push the other one down a little bit more in terms of the fans. You just saw, you said that you were old. So I want to put this into context. 21 years ago, uh, yes, you had a monster swim, 4.11.7. So you're within two seconds of winning gold yesterday. And you did yeah, that. Yeah, shouldn't let's be, happen. Let's be, let's be honest. You know, you, you're, you're, you're not wearing a compression suit. They're, they're wearing right. a compression suit. So, yes, you know, th there's a reason why we wanted to pull you in. The, the reason why is that what you did over a generation ago is, um, let's just say, You've, you've marked the record books and our listeners know that. Uh, so I just want to talk to you about a peer. Um, you know, Phelps wore the full bodied compression suits and dropped the 403. I definitely think the full body compression suits matter in the 400 IM. And sure. in, in, this, in, in, in races where you're constantly getting low, you're managing energy systems and you're getting lower and yeah. lower in the water, you get that exponential benefit as you, as you move through the 400 meters. So two things with Phelps, comment on that 403 world record in context of everybody else. And I'd like to know what you thought of his call in the Olympic final. Yep. Uh, you know, I think I, I would, I always kind of preface um, any question about Michael with what we should all keep in mind, which is <clears throat> greatest swimmer we've ever seen um, put, put the, the ability and the priority, um, and the, and the breadth and the width of swimming multiple events in a kind of different, different perspective, right? It's not something that, oh, I, I lost my, the bet with my coach and now I have to do multiple events, right? Now it's like, no, no, that's my badge of honor. Right. And, and I, and I credit, I credit him, uh, for raising that perspective in fairness, to myself, but even, even predecessors before me, I love the history of the sport. It's not fair to say it was him because there are a lot, I mean, Matt Biondi did it uh, like Caleb Dress is doing it now. So let's not forget that it didn't start with Michael. Um, no disrespect, but we have a, a pretty cool, rich history in swimming of, of barrier breakers, right? And that certainly guided me and motivated me to try to carry that on in, in whatever way I could. I think Michael came along when media also bursted through um, and showed that that's possible to do, right? So I start, I start there. Um, I think the suit thing is a hot mess, right? We, you and I could do a, a whole separate pod on the suit thing. Um, I, I'm actually quite happy to be in an era where, you know, if you look back and have to do a deep Google dive on, uh, on what I wore, um, I still have buddies I grew up with that make fun of me for the pictures in Sports Illustrated from 96 because you know, my suit is like this big, right? Like it's barely holding my rear end in and I don't really have a rear end, right? So I come from, from that era and I know you do too, where, you know, look, what are we talking about here? You're either the best swimmer in the world or the fastest swimmer in that event and you're not, right? So I, I don't, truth be told, I don't love the conversation to tell you the truth uh, about the topic. I love talking about who worked hard, who deserves it, who raced smart, um, who followed their strategy, who got psyched out, who was able to psych everyone else out. Like, that's, I'm, I'm here all day for that, right? I will say this, though, to your point on the suit, um, before I am, it, I, I, you know, I, I'm not scientific enough to tell you that 
it's the it's the biggest impact from the suit, but it's pretty darn close. And it's and it's for a lot of the reasons you gave, and then some in that you're switching body position. You're switching body position, quite frankly, within each hundred because you're you're turning your legs on and off, you're two beat kicking, you're not kicking, you're 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 increasing your your uh, turnover rate, you're decreasing it. All of those things happen. So for, you, for everybody watching at home, at that level, if you don't think that that's all tinkered and worked on within each hundred, it, it absolutely is. And for those that it's not, then they have a, that then they can get to the third gear and that's it. And that's what sometimes you see in that race, right? You see, <clears throat> excuse me, men or women that will just just yoke one of those strokes because they know they don't have a fourth or fifth gear when it gets to backstroke or breaststroke or whatever it may be, right? So I think a lot of people watching, and I wish maybe to get to the second part of this in a second, I wish we would explain this a little bit better uh, on, on TV, that it isn't that people aren't trying hard. It's that they know they don't have a fourth or fifth gear in breaststroke, so they have to gun their butterfly and backstroke. It's not that they're, they're racing it incorrectly. They're racing off of their strengths and weaknesses, right? And one of the things that I learned early on in, the, in, in, in kind of putting together my former IM right? Which is where Carson Foster is right now in learning, like, hold on, how am I going to squeeze the most out of all of this? It, you don't, you don't squeeze every hundred if it's your only hundred, right? It's all in relation to what you're doing in your other hundreds. So as a brushstroker growing up, I know I'm going to go to my legs and brushstroke because that's my advantage, right? When I first broke the world record, I did it off the hundred brushstroke split alone and about 75 meters of freestyle, right? Um, my backstroke was I mean, summer league level when I first broke the world record. When I broke it the second time, my backstroke could have made the Olympic team, right? And that's the difference. And the difference there is so, so yeah, I didn't have as much legs and breaststroke. That's the whole point, though, is I'm switching the strategy to say, I don't need to wait till the second hundred. I'm going to gun that backstroke and, and, and confuse everybody as to how they swim the race. And ultimately, that's, they had no idea what to do. So I share that to say the suit matters a lot, right? It matters a lot how you're sitting in the water. It matters a lot how you use your legs or not to merge two questions now. You know, Michael talked a lot on the broadcast. Not sure everybody understood exactly what he was referring to, but he was making a good point um, about saving legs and going to a two beat. Pretty sure, again, a national audience has no idea what a two beat means, but we do on Swim Slam, right? And, and, and you know, he talked a lot about saving legs and having backstroke be a, a arm turnover uh, portion of your swim to then jolt your legs into breaststroke, right? And the suit matters for that. That suit holds your legs up higher, right? So these things all come into play. Um, I would never even spend a second of, of time thinking how much that affects time because I just think it's different phases in the sport, right? I don't look at it saying like, well, my 411 would have been 406 or, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, my 411 also could have been 408 if somebody was right in my face in 2000, because I guarantee you I would have touched the wall first. So if somebody's there the whole time, that 408, you know, that 411 becomes a 408, 407, and then Michael's 403 looks like the sports just advanced, right? So there's always factors. Um, I do think the, <clears throat> the, the suit phase mattered a lot, right? Um, and, 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 but I'd leave it at that. I'd still, I still give it to you that take the suit away. Um, that was his, I thought, next to the 200 free uh, in 08, that was his best swim. Structurally, strategically, um, 
I thought his tuner free was probably about as good as you can get. But but that four iron four oh three, you know, there's a reason that four oh five is the closest anyone's come. Um, so you know, I, I don't I think people take the suit conversation the wrong way and they say, Oh, well, now you're making excuses for the gender, and they just take it too far, right? I think you have to leave it at, in my opinion, at at what it was meant to do. They didn't just put the suit out because it looked good. They did it because it was an aid. It made it easier, right? It helped you. Why else would they have put it out? So I leave that part there. Um, you know, I think the, the, the micro announcing thing is, is um, a couple thoughts. Um, I think NBC really needs it. Um, I think that, that uh, there are people in that, in that producer's room going, Oh, what are we doing here? We got post COVID. We got signs that say Tokyo 2020. It's actually 2021. Don't know if we want to talk about that. It's, um, we, we, we got, we're not sure how they're going to swim. Right. Cause now these are athletes that maybe they didn't go through the morning uh, final cycle, <clears throat> which is also on my list of potential, you know, um, problems for times. Right. Um, w- w- the greatest swimmer and the most prolific metal uh, gatherer, in the history of the Olympics uh, is now not participating. This is our number one go-to platform and has been Olympics over Olympics. What do we do now? Well, let's bring that guy back in, right? Like, I don't really care what that guy says. Let's bring him back in and just keep saying he's here. And maybe they won't pay attention to the fact that some of the times are gonna be slower or people won't know the names, right? I mean, you've been in that world now, like I, I, that's not far-fetched to kind of throw out there for the audience to, to keep in mind. Um, However, I would also say that from a nerdy swim uh, uh, perspective, it is good for our sport, right? Like we want Michael to, to stay involved. We want, we want that voice to carry on. Um, so I like it. Um, you know, I, I, I think he, he needs some seasoning uh, would be my PC way of, of, uh, of kind of putting it. I think he would tell you that too, though, right? He's just kind of be thrown into the mix there. Um, I don't necessarily think it's fair for him. He's kind of in and out certain certain uh, events he's not he's not able to get a rhythm to it right his timing and cadence hasn't been able to to, to get figured out because he's kind of in one event out another uh, i think it's a, that's a hard thing to ask of him right I, I give him a ton of credit for being willing to do it right and saying yeah i'll mix it up and i'll, and I'll throw my my thoughts in there um i think what would what would be fantastic if if they also had the ability to kind of further explain Michael's points because Michael's points, as we all know, are fantastic and they're exactly what we want to hear and talk about. I think the challenge is that Michael's just done swimming. So he's so inside the game that I think it's, it's, it's not fair to expect from him to say, whoa, 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 you see those flags that are up over the water? People don't know what those are, right? Like, and I'll give you a perfect side story. Um, my, my, uh, my new best friend, what I keep telling everybody this summer, Scott Van Pelt, uh, his daughter swims at a, at a summer league team that's, that competes against, against where my kids swim. And so he and I hung out at one of the swim meets. And great guy, um, awesome name drop for me. Yes, I'm name dropping right now. She, I'm a huge uh, sports nerd, so it was like a big moment for me. Um, and, uh, you know, just a super good guy. But, but like, that's, that helped me so much in the, in the perspective of things. Because those are the types of questions he was asking. He's like, so what do those things do? What are, what are they called? And then actually, what do they do? Are they just for a show? Oh, oh, you count your stroke. 
right? So my point there, and you know this, Mel, but just for the audience is that's who's watching, right? As much as we know the, the greater Swim Swim community is watching, right? And we want to know two beat kick, four beat kick. How do you turn that off? When are you, you know, when are you taking it from 100% to 80%? You know, why do they keep saying long and strong up front? Why does Rowdy keep using that? The ever actually explain? Like, that's where you, 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 you say, okay, yeah, the greater, the greater audience doesn't know what the starting block is called, right? They, it's a thing you start on, right? That's, that's the type. And so I think that's a challenge for Michael, right? To dial that back because he's still so jazzed by it like we are. He wants to cheer more than he wants to, to commentate on it, which I don't blame him. We would all want to do that. So it's a tricky spot for him to be in. I have an opinion. I have many opinions and I want to share them with you. I want you to tell me what you think of my opinions. The, uh, I think that our, our, our coverage is looks very, very long in the tooth. And uh, I feel like we've been doing the same thing over and over and over. It's the reason why I started watching BBC's coverage in 2012. And I would watch both. I'm watching everything because Swim Swam, we do watch everything. So I have multiple monitors up and I'm catching all coverage everywhere. I'm looking at data. Yep. But BBC did something very interesting and it really sucked me. And I thought they really just figured it out. But it's, uh, they, they, you never saw the host and the analyst. They would just call the race. It's like the main host of the Olympics would talk. And they were the star of like the network. And then they would, the race would happen. It would be all audio. And then they would pull out and go to Ian Thorpe on a couch in a studio that was cool. He was wearing a hoodie. And they're like, hey, buddy, what did you see in that race? What was interesting to you? What did you pick up? And he shared the most insightful things in the world. And I felt like I was sitting on the couch enjoying the Olympics with Ian Thorpe. To me, that was, I mean, it's like, if you're going to start Michael off, start him off in the studio, in the yeah. hoodie, hanging out so that Michael Phelps is sitting on the couch with you. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of hoping that he would, that they would do that with him because everybody wants to sit on the couch and, and again, you know, with the goat and, and experience the Olympic games while we're eating popcorn. Yeah. So in, and I think in Michael's defense, first of all, every time I heard him talk, the rawness in his voice and his excitement was the fret was a breath of fresh air. It just felt like I, yep. I was, I was, I was standing up. I was jumping up and down. I was acting like an eight year old child. Um, the, I look, I turned to everyone that's in my, and you know, when, as we're watching and I said, I hope the rawness of his excitement doesn't wane because even though it's a little loose, it's what I love. The, yep. um, but I, I think, so I think in his defense, you know, I, I personally think this guy's got swim IQ that's just off the charts. And frankly, it's a little wonky not for him not to have more time. I think they need to give him the mic. If he wants to not talk for five seconds, fine, because just wait, whatever he's going to say, it's going to be interesting. Even if it isn't interesting, I just want to hear the tone of his voice. Yep. So my, my feeling is he needs more space. It needs to happen now. They need to make this decision in this in the producer booth yeah. now. That uh, anyway, that's my two cents. Yeah, look, and I think the, the other part of it is if if you're a producer, you don't know if you're going to have them in three years. I guess not four, right? So so that's the other tricky part of this too is he he could be off and and doing his thing, you know, and and not want to not want to come back. So I think to, to even further your point, 
I mean, view it as this is your one shot at the plate with them. Um, so why would you why would you put parameters on it? I think the other thing too that um, that's that's really difficult in the broadcast is they are restricted uh, logically by the time of the race. So it so to your point, it doesn't allow room for analysis, true analysis and breakdown um, because they're trying to jam it in before you know Dan has to has to reorganize as they go into the halfway mark and here's where everyone is right and so it's such short blips and blurbs and I and I would bet you if we chatted with Michael right now that's where that's where he's feeling like man I just I've got to jam it in so I just have to keep saying this one quick thing it's not really what I want to say right but I'm afraid if I say what I really want to say Dan's going to go okay right and and so I think you know that's that's part of the challenge and I would I would add to that, I think, where what frustrates, I, I would speak on behalf of, of American swim nerds, is the complaint from around the world that it is very American-centric. I don't think it's just that, though. I think it's, it's difficult in the context and timing of that race to tell all the storylines. Like, please explain to me how in the women's 4x100 relay, we are not talking about Sarah Shostrom leading off with, what, it was a 52-6? Like... What? We're not even saying that. And oh, by the way, she broke her elbow in February. And oh, by the way, like she she she's it from Sweden. And oh, by the way, like she's someone the hundred fly, even though she broke her elbow. I mean, like, how does that not even come up as a as a tease for future events that she's going to be involved in, whether it's with our young superstars like Tori Husk or just a a general player on the scene, right? On the women's side for winning medals, like kind of a significant swim. Excuse me. That unless I missed it on the NBC broadcast, I never heard a peep about. But I'm not knocking that team. I think that furthers your point. It's really hard to fit all of that in. The narrative of Simone Manuel is on. the The American women are not even close to being favored, right? And it's really just a race of of how how much are the Australian women going to break the world record by? Not if they're going to. I mean, they literally would have to have someone not finish their 100 freestyle to not break the water, right? So clearly that's the storyline. But the Sarah Shosum thing is a huge storyline for the rest of the meet, right? As an indicator of where is she and how is that possible that she broke her elbow, right? So, you know, again, that's the nerdiness in me coming out. But I think to, to further your point, not only does Michael not have that kind of room to, to really analyze, um, but, I, but I don't think there is a lot of that space, um, right. As they're going through that race, cause they have to pick those storylines and sometimes they miss, right. Like sometimes a kid from Tunisia wins the four or free and you go, Whoa, wait a second, here he comes. And it's the last four meters. And you're like, what? Whoa, he, he was there the whole time. Right. So it's hard. Right. And I see or BBC or any broadcast, it's a lot harder than people think. Right. It's easy for us to sit here and go, yeah, but you didn't talk about that personally, except they're well, except they're looking at a sheet that the producers are saying, here's what we need you to hit on. Right. And they're trying to react real time then when those stories change. And that is hard. They're, they're in your ear. You're, you're when you when you I've so I've subbed for Rowdy before at, you know, because he does a whole lot of commentating. So I've subbed for him. Uh, it's, so it's like. Uh, Natalie Coughlin's uh, Natalie Coughlin does a lot. Elizabeth Beisel does a lot <clears throat> and I'm do it. I get phone calls, buddy, where it's like, Mel, 
um, you're, we, we've gone to Natalie, we've gone to Elizabeth. They can't, Brad can't do it. They can't do it. So we're coming to you. Can you do it in 24 hours? Can you fly to, to New York and be driven up to Connecticut and, and to, into the yeah. pound? And, uh, you know, you swallow your ego and you say yes. And then, but yeah. I do it just for the experience and just to understand the culture of what you're talking about, which is what we all know, but to understand it firsthand. But yes, they're in your ear. And sometimes you have two or three people in your ear and they're telling you where to focus. And sometimes you're hearing information and you're like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. The audience, absolutely. Even, even the person sitting on the couch that doesn't swim or the person that's a huge swim fan needs to know this, but you have to do what you're told. So yep. good point for, yes, yes. We, we, we all sort of know that what, what's, what's happening. Let's pull this yep. back. And, and if you have any final thoughts, you can always come in. You can always follow up with, with Phelps, but um, we might just have to bring you back and do some more pods. But the let's bring this back to Carson Foster. Carson Foster was third at Olympic trials. His best swim was the prelim swim. He was the top seed at Olympic trials. His splits compared to what he did at the Speedo sectional meet on Friday night. Um, he was a fit in the hunter fly was 55, eight at trials, 102, 100 breast, 111, 100 backstroke, 101, 100 freestyle. That's the outlier. That's, that was the, that, yeah. that's the stinker. That's the yeah. goose egg at the sectionals in Austin, Texas on Friday night, 55, eight out in the hundred fly 103 on backstroke laid off his legs. I think yeah. Yeah. 111, uh, hundred breast, almost the same split down to the 10th. 58.05 on the 100 meters. Which is free. where his legs. His what happened legs there? Had I, I, so, so you explain what those two races and, and, and how he got so much faster. Yeah, I think that the um, two things on, on back to free. Depends on what type of backstroke you are, right? And, and, I, and, and look, I'm a feel swimmer. I'm a feel athlete, like in anything I do. Um, but, but here's the thing in backstroke and four, I am is different than backstroke and, and swimming a tuner backstroke, right. Which is what I ended up doing to improve my backstroke from 94 up to 2000. Right. It's, it is a different, um, it's a different rhythm. There's a different kind of mentality and strategy to it. Right. And this is one of the points that Michael made last night on the broadcast was, um, you've got to save your legs in some percentage of capacity for breaststroke. Um, really no way to get through breaststroke at that level. If you want to win a gold medal, um, without hammering the field, right. It's hard to, it's hard to just hang in there. Um, so the, 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 the tricky part with, with the two styles of backstroke is you have a lot of, you take Eric Vent, who was basically a 16 beat kicker, right. Phenomenal kicker. Um, his challenge, and he would tell you this was, what do I, what do I do with my legs? Like an anchor man, like, what am I doing with my hands? What do I do with my legs on backstroke here? Right. Because I, what my brain tells my legs to do is, is to go like this constantly. Right. My muscle memory is such that I just go. Right. And so for him, it's a challenge to, to kind of take it from fifth gear kicking down to call it second gear. Right. Not even third and float them. Right. Another, another kind of term that we would think about is like, just float them. Right. And, and, and I think by that, what it means is no, it's not that you're not kicking. It's that you're falling in rhythm with, with what your upper body is telling your body to do. Right. And so the two different styles of four IM backstrokers is you've got your normal kind of steady kick backstrokers, and then you have your pullers and your pullers 
tend to be the people that are your best breaststrokers. Um, sure, part of it's because they grew up as breaststrokers and that's how they got into the 4IM. But the other part is because they know they're not just saving them for breaststroke. And, and to your point of giving Michael airtime, if he, if he was allowed to extend it, what he would have said to you is it's not just for breaststroke. It's also, oh, by the way, you have 100 freestyle after that, that you're either going to hammer home Jay Litherland style or you're going to hold on for dear life, right? And hope that people don't pass you, right? And so if you went back and looked at videotape, I can guarantee you Jay Litherland is, doesn't have a 10-beat backstroke kick going. Why? Partly maybe because he can't, maybe because that's not his stroke, but also because he knows his bread and butter is the last 25 meters of the freestyle, right? And so I think I think Carson's learning that, right? I think that that is a direct switch of, hold on, you could go a second to two seconds, I think you said in the splits, slower in your back, maybe second and a half slower in your backstroke split and make up three seconds in freestyle, right? And and that is a that that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. That is a direct structural strategy change that can be made. If you're not a butterflyer, okay, and that's not your natural stroke. So if you can't rip a 55 and have it feel free and easy, you swim butterfly like I do which is you want to be flatter, right? Like I actually wanted, believe it or not, to be flatter in the water because I, if, if my split was much below call at 57, 58, and I'm in the 56 range, it's, it's a thing. And that's where I think the strategy behind the four IM is so important for everyone to understand is that maybe I didn't say it well enough in the beginning, but where that bar is, almost think of it as a, as a tank of gas. How big is your tank, Right. And by that, what I mean is, do you have the capability of going four or five or four or six, or are you a four ten person? And if you're a four ten person, your tank is this big. If you're a four or five, four or six, your tank is this big. Now, how do you use the gas within that tank? Because you can't change the tank, right? So, in other words, if you're naturally not a very good breaststroker, okay, that tank is here, right? Like you just have to survive the breaststroke, right? So you're going to gun your your butterfly and backstroke build a huge lead, hope you can hang on as Chase goes 108, right? And then you're going to get him on the freestyle because he just had to go 108 to get back in the race, right? So these are all the strategies that like the general population on TV are going to go, whoa, what is happening right now? That swim, swam, swim nerds are going, yes, this is what I'm here for, right? And that's, I think that's, that's what everybody has to keep in mind though, is that this is not an event where uh, the light switch just goes on and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm super, I'm, I work hard. I'm going to outwork everyone. And then, and then I'm good. Right. You, you've got to, you've got to trial and error some of these strategies um, to see what works for you. Right. And so, so if I'm, if I'm talking to Carson Foster right now and he just went 408 by pumping the brakes on his backstroke and gunning his freestyle, my next conversation is to say, okay, great. You can go 58 and 101. So let's work on how we do that. Cause your new, your new tank now just grew and just got bigger, but you can do it now by still going one-on-one and just don't waste your legs on it. Right. Or maybe we need to tinker with your breaststroke. So it doesn't take so much out of your legs that then further depletes them for the freestyle. Right. And, and that's the kind of conversation that you get into with, I mentioned that's COVID related of maybe they weren't, maybe they didn't have access in time to tweak those combos, which is the world I lived in for years of, Nobody, I never did a, a straight four IM time and time again in practice. You're, you're tinkering like, all right, let's do a 75, 25 back as fast as you can literally go so that you drain your legs and your energy system. You're breathing hard. 
Now, how do you get that breaststroke light, nice and long and strong when you're out of breath, right? So how do you kind of trick your, your, your body into doing that? And mentally, you start to just hammer that and you go, yeah, that's no issue, right? So here's how I'm going to adjust my strategy. And that's a lot of where, you know, I think getting into the, the Carson Foster conversation, he needs that, right? He, he needs to trial and error that. And, 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 it's, and it's worth clarifying, that does not mean years long ramp up to be knocking on the door to be the best in the world. All I'm saying is that even at that elite level in that, you know, 408, 409, 410, 411, there's still testing limits of what is the right way to put this together, right? You know, when Michael came up, breaststroke was his weakest stroke. Everybody knew that, right? So it wasn't just about getting breaststroke better. It was, what am I going to adjust with energy systems on other legs that I'm strong to help as I improve this leg, right? It's not a straight trade-off. There are, there are kind of half plans in place of use legs here, back them off here, right? You know, a lot of uh, elite four IMers are told you, you, you really challenge while you work, work into every hundred, it's good to challenge the first half of that hundred because it tends to offset the field. In other words, usually as you work your way up through the ranks, everybody is kind of working their way into each hundred. In other words, their second 50 is better either time-wise, tempo-wise, or feel than their first 50, right? And the way to upset the apple cart is you gun your first 50 of brushwork and the whole field is just left kind of in the corner staggering. And then it's over if you're a brushwork and a freestyle, right? And so I think that's the world that Carson Foster is in now of, of living through that and experiencing that, which is fantastic for his, his upward mobility, right? It means he's got a lot of room to improve. Um, it's a 2021 COVID freaking bizarro world conversation that we're having of a kid that's at whatever you called it, the speedo sectionals that just went faster than the gold medal. Like what, what, what world are we in right now? Like, are we seriously having this conversation? And the answer is yes, because it's the same conversation that we started with of no fans and, and poor Diaceto and, um, you know, my buddy Chase and my kid's favorite Paw Patrol character, you know, finally broke through and won and went 409. And we're kind of all like, should we, or like, should we cheer really loud? Right. It's just, a, it's this bizarre world that we're in. And I've never had a conversation with anybody about somebody that just swam faster than the gold medal, not like months later, because that's happened a lot, but, but basically the same day or the day before, uh, you know, I, what's the historical perspective on that? I mean, it is welcome to 2021, I guess. It is welcome to 2021. And that was a perfect unpacking from the man who won the 400 IM back to back 1996 and 2000 for perspective. If you missed it 15 minutes ago, 411.7 for the world record in 2000, wearing a teeny weenie suit. I think it was a Nike suit. Were you still with Nike back then? Yeah. yeah. You were the Nike. I was so jealous of your Nike commercials, but let's talk about what you're doing now. You have Tom Dolan swim school and there has been a tectonic shift you are playing entrepreneur. Uh, explain to me what's happening in your life personally. Yeah, it's a, um, we've all had an emotional COVID period of time. Um, I certainly am in that boat though, because, you, you know, I, I'm wearing a, a polo that says Big Blue Swim School, not Tom Dolan Swim School. And, uh, and, and I'm proud of that. And, and I'm excited, uh, you know, for, for, for what's to come. I think from a, from a holistic sh- change uh, across the U.S., um, and being able to educate families better and more often than we have historically um, in understanding water safety, 
um, and, and having families aware of um, accessibility um, to swim lessons to get them started, which, oh, by the way, you know, this water safety life-saving skill platform that is a grassroots move to say, this is how every parent should, should have their child involved in the water, um, get them safe, have them start to learn to swim. And if that's the pathway that they fall in love with, like you and I did, then even better, right? But the driver is that water safety side. Um, and so I think, you know, for me, uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting couple of years. I'm, you know, you know me well enough that I'm a personality that um, if I'm not super passionate about it, I don't, I'm not interested, right? But if I'm into it, nobody is more into it than me, right? And that's how I swam. That's the only way I know how to do it. Um, and I think uh, it was in a, a super interesting, emotional, very windy, very bumpy journey of, is this something I'm interested in doing in, in changing my brand, right? And not being Tom Dolan Swim School anymore and joining with Big Blue and, and I think it's one of those life uh, journey, um, business uh, kind of emotional times where uh, the best way I can describe it is, I think as you're challenged through your life, um, you always want to find the room that has the smarter people, that has the people that inspire you the most, um, that, that has a group of people that want to raise the bar, right? And I think all of us with our background, that's the, that's the, that's the sport we loved, right? Because it did that, right? Mel, you were a world record holder, just like I was. It, it wasn't just about, Hey, now we have the world record. It was now someone's behind me. So I need to raise the bar again. And I need to raise the bar again. And I'm only doing that because I know the quality of competitor in the room with me, right? That, that is my summary of being on the USA national team is that the reason we're so dominant, so good for so long is because it didn't matter who you were, how good you were, there was someone behind you coming for you and, and not in an unhealthy way, right? I mean, most of us were unhealthy competitors. You are not no different than me, right? I, I love to race angry, um, but I also so appreciated the Eric Vents of the world and the Eric Namesnicks of the world and those that, that helped push me, right? The Mel Stewart's of the world, the Matt Biondi's of the world that showed the, the pathway that was ahead, right? And I look at that in business too, um, and this is a blend, right? This is a passion project that actually is, is, is also my business. Um, and I think that's the way I would describe going from Tom Dolan Swim School to Big Blue is um, it's a room full of people that are smarter, that, that want to achieve, and I want to provide something that will change the landscape in the U.S. for how people understand learning how to swim, how, what the entry point is the high quality that that experience should be for everybody um, without any excuses. And so that's what we're a part of. And, and uh, you know, uh, an interesting time getting to It's certainly been a challenge um, standpoint, but we are from a sport that's really can only shine every four years. So we're pretty, pretty good at putting our head down and grinding and, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm excited to, um, to help be a part and lead Big Blue going forward. And um, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm running East Coast operations for Big Blue. And, um, you know, we've sold over 130 franchises across the U.S. 
and now we're we're just getting our hands dirty and, and starting to build them and 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 nurture them and grow them out and uh so it's an exciting it's an exciting time for me uh, but i think it's an exciting time for the grassroots of our sport too you've been listening to the swim swim podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week you can take swim swim podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel for more videos as well